Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arna Chalaramanaya. Uh, namaskaram. <clears throat> Today I'm going to be beginning to talk about um, the uh, uh, Sri Arunachakshramlai, which is the, the very heart of Bhagavan's teachings. Bhagavan's whole heart was poured out into this beautiful, beautiful love song. And um, it is such a, a work so deep, both in devotion and in meaning and implication. Um, I don't pretend that I can even begin to do justice to it, but I will share some ideas about it. But, um, but I mean, some of the, the ideas I learned from Murugan's commentary, some, uh, many of them are ideas I heard from Sadhu Om, and others are ideas that occurred to me. But um, there's, there's no limit to the meaning that we can find in this work. Many verses are so deep in meaning for many years, we may we may be viewing them in one way, and then later on, suddenly one day, a new meaning may uh, reveal itself to us. So, I don't think anyone can. Um, it is possible ever to write a definitive um, uh, or give a definitive explanation of this work. There will always be more to be discovered in it. Um, Bhagavan often said, Bhakti is the mother of jnana. And to tell the truth, though people generally consider Bhagavan's path as the path of jnana, it is equally well, or even more so, the path of bhakti. Because um, the path of jnana, as taught by Bhagavan, is the path of self-investigation. And we cannot begin to investigate ourselves without thereby surrendering ourselves without thereby surrendering this ego that is the nature of ego is such that it rises stands and flourishes attending to things other than itself but if it tries to attend to itself to see who am i it begins to subside and if it looks at itself keenly enough it will sink into the very depth of the heart and lose itself in the infinite clarity of pure awareness, which is Bhagavan and which is Arunachala. So um, the, the connection between bhakti and jnana is brought out very clearly in this song. Um, also, when we, are, when we are trying to practice Bhagavan's teachings, we come across so many obstacles in the form of our own Vishaya Vasanas. That is, Bhagavan often used to say, the uh, spiritual path is a battle in our own heart, in our own will, between our Vishaya Vasanas and Sat Vasana. Sat Vasana means the, the inclination or love just to be as we actually are. And we can be as we actually are only by attending to ourselves. Whereas Vishaya Vasanas, are, Vishayas means phenomena, objects, anything other than ourselves. So Vishaya Vasanas are inclinations or liking to attend to other things, to experience other things. So the whole spiritual path is just a battle between these two opposing types of Vasanas or inclinations. Um, so anyone who is sincerely following this path 
will face so many obstacles, not obstacles from the outside world. We can't blame the outside world for our problem. It's obstacles within our own mind, our own liking to go outwards. So that this is what the spiritual path is all about. And because we all face so many obstacles, in, 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 inner obstacles in the form of our own vasanas, this song is the greatest of aids to us in this path. Um, Akshramlai uh, welled up spontaneously in Bhagavan's heart one day when he was doing Giri Pradakshana. Generally, it is the, the context in which Bhagavan composed this song, how it is usually narrated in books and how it's usually understood is when um, for many years, when Bhagavan was living in Virupaksha cave, there wasn't any regular cooking going on. The, uh, in early days, Bhagavan used to go and beg his own food. In later days, uh, once a number of sadhus were, uh, uh, were living with Bhagavan, a group of sadhus, two or three sadhus, would go and beg food and bring it back and uh, share among all who were present in Virupaksha cave which is where Bhagavan was living at that time. Most of the time he was living in Virupaksha cave, except during the very hot months when he would go to, I think it was Mango Tree Cave, which was cooler in the very hot months. But, I mean, he was living in the caves on the hill. So, um, so when, when, when uh, the group of Bhagavan's devotees went for begging food, they used to sing um, uh, Tamil devotional songs, Shaivite songs, um, and uh, so people would uh, people would recognize them, and people were hearing them. Um, I think Paramaswami, or one of them, used to blow blow the conch when they started from Virupakshi Cave, and then when they came to whichever street they were going to beg in, they would blow the conch and then start walking down the street, and people would come and offer them food. Observing this, there were other sadhus on the hill who started imitating them, blowing conches and, um, and singing the same songs. So people often mistook these other groups as uh, 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 other groups of sadhus as the Bhagavan's group of sadhus. So there was some um, competition, even in the spiritual world, competition goes on, such is the nature of the, of the world. Um, so... Um, they requested Bhagavan to compose a song, and Bhagavan said, "No, there are so many, uh, there are so many uh, good songs by um, Tamil Shaivite saints. There's no need for any more songs." So Bhagavan was declining. But then, at, at about the same time, one day when Bhagavan was going around the hill, these verses started to. Um, to, to well forth from his heart. And I think it was at about the same time that Bhagavan had been composing um, the verses of um, Arunachala uh, Patikam and Ashtakam. So knowing that Bhagavan may compose verses while going around the hill, the, I think it was uh, Parani Swami who was accompanying Bhagavan that day. He had brought paper in a uh, pencil. So when these verses started flowing out of Bhagavan's heart, Bhagavan started, he gave the paper and pen to Bhagavan, Bhagavan started to write them down. And 
Bhagavan was so moved as these verses were coming. It wasn't with any conscious effort on his part, but verses were just pouring forth from his heart. It is said that the paper on which he was writing became wet with his tears. He was so emotional. And um, according to most accounts that we hear from old devotees, in the course of that one production, Bhagavan composed all 108 verses. However, it is, it is recorded in Day by Day. Devaraja Mudliya recorded on, um, when was it? On the 7th of December, 1945, he recorded it as if Bhagavan said, uh, uh, marital garland of letters, that's Sri Aranachakshramalai, was composed partly at Virupakshi Cave and partly on my walks around the hill. Um, I, many old devotees I spoke to were under the impression that Devaraja Mudliya had got mixed up there. But what Bhagavan, was, what Bhagavan said was composed partly on his walks around the hill and partly in Virupakshi Cave was Arunachala Padikam and Ashtakam. That is, Arunachala Padikam, the first verse, had been, um, or the opening lines of that song had been coming to Bhagavan's mind, and he kept on putting them aside, thinking, what have these words got to me? But, but got to do with me. But the words kept on coming to his mind. And eventually, one day, he decided he couldn't stop them anymore. So he wrote the first verse that came, as I say, spontaneously came forth from his heart. That was while he was doing Parakshana. And the next day, the, the, the opening words of the next verse, which were the, the final syllables of the um, of the previous verse, the first verse, became the first syllables of the second verse. So the second verse started coming to him like that for about um, eight, uh, 17 days or so, consecutive days, one verse would come. First the uh, 11 verses of Arunachal Patikam, and then in a slightly different meter, the first six verses of Arunachal Ashtakam. And... Um, then someone wanted to, at that time, I think Akshram might have been uh, already composed by that time. So someone wanted to uh, print all of these. So then Bhagavan composed the final two verses of Ashtakam to make it up to um, eight. Um, so those were composed partly on, on his walks around the hill and partly um, in Virupakshi cave. Whereas Akshram the impression most uh, old devotees I spoke to, the impression they had was that Bhagavan had composed it just while walking, uh, just in the course of one production, Bhagavan had composed all 108 verses. That seems more likely because when we see the flow of verses in Akshramlai, it's very, very clear these were not just a little bit written here, a little bit written there. They were written in one continuous flow. It is possible, but maybe Bhagavan had not composed all 108 by the time he completed the production. So he may have composed the last few verses while in after returning to the Rupakshi cave. But um, most of the verses, at least, we can we 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 can. I think we are, are, are right in believing that they were all composed during the course of one 
uh, Prakshna. Maybe he completed the whole thing before completing the Prakshna. So I think probably, as I was told by several old devotees, Dave Rajamudli had got himself a bit mixed up when he recorded that. Um, but of course, these things don't matter, but um, these are just uh, minor historical facts. But the fact is, I mean, when we see the nature of Akshramra, it was a, it's, it's, but one's whole heart is pouring out into that. It is such a, such a wonderful, wonderful work. Um, so, and though it is said, but though it is often connected with that request of the sadhus who wanted a song to sing while going to beg, and though they took this Bhagavan's composition of Akshramlai as an answer to their prayer, prayers, that wasn't, we can't say that was the main reason why Bhagavan sang this. Bhagavan sang this in a flood of pure love and devotion. Um, that is very, very clear. I see, uh, we can see that very clearly um, from the verses themselves. It is, um, it was not, um, it was not just as a song for begging. It was that Bhagavan was pouring out his heart to Arunachala. However, he did humorously remark one day, Akshram Rai fed us for many years. That's been also recorded in Day by Day. That certain Bhagavan often used to say like that, it, uh, but it fed them for many years. Um, but that wasn't the reason why he, he uh, um, composed it. Um, in later years, Often people used to ask Bhagavan about the meaning of the verses. He would always decline to say. He would say they could work out the meaning as well as he could, because uh, he hadn't. He it wasn't with any any thought that he had composed all these. They had just welled up from his heart as a torrent of pure love. Um, even Murugana asked Bhagavan when Murugana was writing his Tamil commentary of Britivarai on uh, Akshram Rai, he was in some of the verses, because they give room for a number of different meanings, he wanted to know what was the meaning Bhagavan, which was the intended meaning, but, but the meaning that Bhagavan intended when he sang the song, uh, the, the, those particular verses. So, but when he asked Bhagavan, Bhagavan said, the one who composed this has gone. If you want me to decide the meaning, I would have to break my head. So you as may, may as well break your own head and decide whatever you think the meaning may be. So um, from this, it's clear, firstly, that Bhagavan had no sense of doership in, in doing all these things. So uh, he didn't feel I am the one who has composed this song. It had just uh, welled up and come out of his heart spontaneously. Secondly, I think another reason why Bhagavan declined to uh, explain the meaning of the verses is many of these verses are intended to have uh, are, are intended to be open to interpretation in, in different ways. So Bhagavan didn't want to limit the scope for devotees to see different meanings in them. If Bhagavan had said, this is the meaning of the verse, or this is the meaning he had intended, that would mean all the other meanings would be um, somehow relegated. People would say, oh, no, that's not really what Bhagavan meant. But Bhagavan didn't want to specify what he meant because these verses are intended, some, 
not all of them. Many of the verses have just one meaning, but many of the verses can be interpreted in a number of different ways and in a, on a number of different levels. So Bhagavan wanted to, didn't want to define or limit the meaning. Um, we, we are fortunate to have Murugana's commentary, so we can see the meanings that Murugana but appeal to Murugana. But we can't always say, we can't necessarily say, oh, because this is the meaning given by Murugana, this is the correct meaning, or because Murugana didn't give that meaning, that's not a correct meaning. No, Murugana, Murugana, in many cases, he, he explained different meanings that could be taken. In some cases, he gave his own, the meaning he preferred as the main meaning, whereas others may uh, prefer another meaning. So just because Murugana preferred one meaning of one verse, for example, there's a verse, Koval Kanya, Kodumaya Padita, that refers to the Koval Kanya, what it suggests is, the um, kuval means the sharp sword, and kanya means those who have eyes. The, the, the most obvious meaning is that it is from a sung from a male perspective. It's referring to the seductive eyes of women. So that I should not fall a, a prey to the seductive eyes of women. That meaning didn't appeal to Murugana because he felt Bhagavan is singing this song in Nayaka Nayaki Baba. That's Bhagavan taking himself to be the bride. So how can the bride talk about the, 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 the seductive eyes of women? So he gave another meaning to it. But um, that, was, that was his attitude. Many other uh, devotees feel no, Murugana was going too far there. So, but... There's no right and wrong in these things. These verses are intended to be open to interpretation. And a, a meaning that may appeal to us at one time or, or may appeal to one devotee may not appeal to another. So it, the, these, are, these songs are songs of love. So they, they can be interpreted in many different ways and different, different levels of meaning, different. Um, they're also suited for different states of mind. In a certain state of mind, one meaning may appeal to us, whereas in another state of mind, another meaning may appeal to us. So uh, this is why Bhagavan didn't want to define any meaning. It's open to interpretation. And there may be so many meanings that we may not, may not strike us at first, but may later strike us one day, all of a sudden, some new meaning may come to our mind. Um, so um, these are verses that are to be, to be sung, to be meditated upon, and to be, um, well, they, they have to be a constant companion to us in the spiritual path. They are, uh, through these verses, Bhagavan has given us so much practical guidance and practical support for the inward journey of self-investigation and self-surrender. Um, though these verses are all, they're printed as couplets, that is two lines. Actually, technically, they are one-line verses. They are one-line verses. Each line consists of, uh, of seven metrical feet. But because that's a bit too long to print in one line, they're generally printed in two lines, but actually they're one-line verses. 
So they're very simple verses, very, very brief verses, but they're extremely deep and rich in meaning and implication. And as I say, they express the very heart of his teachings. Whereas in many other works, such as Nana, Uludunapdu, Upadeshundia, Ammebidde, Ekama Panchikam, and so on, he explains in a clear and systematic way the fundamental principles of his teachings and the means by which we can know and be what we actually are. In Akshramlai, he guides and, and supports us in the practical application of these teachings. And in facing all the obstacles that we will inevitably face on our inward journey. As I, as I mentioned earlier, he, Bhagavan often said that the spiritual, part, the spiritual part of the spiritual journey is a battle within our own heart between our satvasana and our vishaya vasanas. So we all, it's a struggle for any, any sincere aspirant will admit that this is, this is a struggle, but we, we naturally have so much inclination. It's the nature of ego to have inclination to go outwards. As Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Uludunapdu, uh, Urupatri Undam, grasping form, it comes into existence. Urupatri Nikkum, grasping form, it stands. Uh, Urupatri Undu Mika Ongum, grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. Uruvitu Urupatram, leaving form, it grasps form. So grasping form, that means a form means anything other than itself. That is the very nature of ego. So to, when we are turning within, we are going against our ego nature. And nature of ego is always to go outwards. But though we are going against ego nature by turning within, we are our own, our real nature, our actual nature, Atma Swarupa, the, the nature of our, our real nature is never to attend to anything other than ourselves, always to be as we actually are, as pure awareness. So by trying to turn within, we are giving up, surrendering our ego nature and restoring our real nature. Not that our real nature needs restoring, it's ever as it is, but we, we are returning to our real nature, we can say. So this spiritual path is, is definitely a struggle, and we can see the, this struggle um, expressed by Bhagavan in, in so many ways in this uh, song. Um, and this is why he said, Bhakti is the mother of jnana, because without overwhelming, all-consuming, heart-melting love to surrender ourselves entirely, along with all our vasanas, all our desires, our likes, our dislikes, everything, we, without that willingness and that love to surrender ourselves, we can never succeed in going deep in this path, in sinking deep, uh, deep within our own heart, deep enough to lose ourselves completely. Um, so uh, bhakti is absolutely essential. Bhakti means love. Love, we, we, love is, the, is the key to success in this path. Um, and that's why prayer plays such an important role. Um, because when we, when, if we, that is, in 
Akshram Lai and other uh, songs of our natural Stuti Panchakam, Bhagavan has taught us how and for what we should pray. If we pray for what Bhagavan is praying for in this song, we are aligning our will with his will. In other words, we're surrendering our will to his will, and thereby we are helping to dismantle the obstacles to complete surrender that we've erected in our heart by liking and desiring so many other things. So in these verses, Bhagavan is teaching us how and for what we should pray. And of course, he's teaching us through words. But prayer is, of course, much more than just words. Words can serve as a vehicle for prayer, but prayer itself is an intense longing and crying out from the innermost depth of our heart for our return to our our return home to our natural state of of infinite, indivisible, immutable, pure being, pure awareness, pure happiness, and pure love, which is what we actually are. Um, so in this, as I say, in this song, Bhagavan is teaching us how to pray. What That means what we should be longing for, what we should be aspiring for when we're on this spiritual path. And because to go deep in the spiritual path, our love needs to be very deep and intense. Bhagavan expressed the depth and intensity of his own love for Arunachala in this song by singing it in Nayaka Nayaki Baba. Nayaka Nayaki Baba means, Nayaka means uh, Lord. Uh, Nayaki means, uh, in this context, a young maiden. And Baba means the devotional attitude. So Nayaki Nayaki Baba is the devotional attitude of a young maiden whose heart has been stolen by her beloved Lord and who therefore yearns cravingly for him wanting nothing else but to be united with him in in eternal and indivisible oneness. The young maiden in this case is Jiva, the soul or ego, and her beloved Lord is Shiva, Lord Arunachala, who is God, Guru, and Atmasvarupa, the the own real nature of the uh, Jiva. Um, So that is why there are so many... um, uh, marriage illusions or illusions to this uh, uh, to the love of a of a of a of a young girl for her uh, for the for the lord of her heart the one who has stolen her heart um, this is expressed in so many of these verses of Aksharamalai, and it's also why this song is called Sri Aranach Aksharamalai. This is a this title of this song is a very deeply meaningful title and a very very appropriate title for this song. Um, Sri Aranach obviously means it's referring to Aranach. Aksharamanamalai is a compound of three words: Akshara, Mana, Malai. Akshara in Tamil, it's Aksharam. It's a Tamil, there's a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word Akshara, um, and it becomes Akshara in, in compound. It, the primary meaning of Akshara is um, Akshara means uh, to, to be destroyed or perish. So Akshara is what is imperishable, indestructible, indissoluble, indis- or immutable. Um, 
that's the main meaning. A secondary meaning of akshara is a syllable or the letter of a syllabic alphabet. That is, in Tamil, Sanskrit, and most Indian languages, they are syllabic alphabets. They have characters that represent syllables. Um, so, uh, whereas in English, uh, for example, a syllable like ka would be ka, two letters in English, in Sanskrit or Tamil or most Indian languages, it's just one letter because the, the letters represent syllables rather than individual than, than the components of the syllables. Um, so uh, akshara means a, a syllable or, or the letter of a syllabic alphabet, because it, it is how this word came to mean a letter in, um, in, in Vedic philosophy, a lot of importance is given to sounds and consequently to the syllables that make up words. And so the syllables are considered as, as something uh, imperishable. Uh, so, uh, the, the, so they're called akshara. So in this case, akshara has two meanings. One is imperishable, and another is a syllable, or the latter of a syllabic alphabet. Um, the second word is manam. Manam... Uh, uh, and it becomes mana in a compound. It's a Tamil noun that means union, particularly union of lovers or marriage. It also means fragrance. And it's derived from the uh, verb mana, which means to be united, come together, marry, embrace, unite carnally, or to emit fragrance. And the third word, male, is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word mala, which means a garland. Therefore, akshara, akshara mana, male has several meanings. Firstly, it means a marriage garland of syllables. And it's so-called because in an Indian marriage ceremony, the bride and bridegroom exchange garlands. That's a very important part of the marriage ceremony is the exchange of garlands. So Bhagavan is, is uh, weaving this garland of verses for his bride, for her bridegroom, let's say, Arunachala. Um, um, and in the final verse, he prays for the exchange of garlands. He's praying to Arunachala, accept my garland and give me your garland, the garland of immutable union. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, in this case, the bride is Bhagawan, and she's making this garland of flowers in the form of verses to adorn the neck of her beloved bridegroom, Arunachala. Um, and because they're the, the, each that is the verses, the, the first syllable of each verse, they're in alphabetical order, or uh, by and large, except for a few verses towards the end. So that's why it's called the bridal garland of syllables, because it's in that alphabetical order. Um, so that's one meaning, mar marriage garland of syllables. It can also mean, because mana can also mean fragrant, it's also a, a fragrant garland of syllables, because this marriage garland of verses composed by the bride is suffused with the free, sweet fragrance of her intense yearning and love for her bridegroom. And thirdly, and most significantly, it means uh, 
a garland of or for imperishable union. Because the marriage for which Bhagavan is praying in this verse, in this song, is the is the state of eternal, imperishable, and immutable uh, oneness with uh, her beloved Lord Arunachya Shiva. Um, so, uh, Sri Arunachakramla means the marriage garland of syllables for Sri Arunachala, the fragrant garland of syllables for Sri Arunachala, or the garland for imperishable union with Sri Arunachala. It can also be taken to mean the garland of imperishable fragrance for Arunachala, because Arunachala is eternally adorned with the sweet fragrance of Bhagavan's all-consuming love for him, as expressed by her so beautifully and heart-meltingly in these verses. Um, so, so, um, uh, so the, this title has so many meanings and they're all so fitting. Um, so in this song, Bhagavan is praying for divine marriage or imperishable union with Arunachala. But obviously we know from Bhagavan may have composed this song around about 1912 or so. We, we don't know exactly where different dates are given in different books, but it was around about 1912. Um, that is um, maybe about 16 years after he had already attained that imperishable union with Arunachala. That is that um, that day in in Madurai when that intense fear of death arose in his heart, prompting him to turn back within and take refuge in the uh, fortress of the feet of Mahesan, as he says in the second Mangalam verse of Ulladunapu. Uh, Mahesan is a great Lord Arunachala Shiva who always exists and shines in my heart as I am. So that, that, that marriage for which he's praying had already been celebrated and consummated on that day in Madurai. Um, so in this song, the, the, the bride is reliving the anguish and joys of her former state of intense longing for him. But here and there, there are verses in which it's very, Bhagavan clearly refers that what he's praying for so longingly has already been bestowed upon him in its fullness. So that is these, these verses of Akshramlai, there are many prayers, heart-melting prayers, but there are also verses in which Bhagavan is, is also expressing in the ecstasy of uh, of uh, of love, he's expressing all that Arunachala has done for him, including, I mean, it's clear from both verses, but that state for which he is praying has already been bestowed upon him. Um, so Bhagavan and Arunachala are one. From that day, we can say, if we look at it from the outward from the outward life of Bhagavan, we can say on that day in Madurai, when that intense fear of death arose in him, that um, that marriage or eternal union with Arunachala was celebrated and consummated. But actually, when, when ego merges back in its source, it's not that we are then newly united with Arunachala. Then it is revealed that we are never anything other than Arunachala, but we have, we, the, our, 
Our union with Aaron actually is eternal. It has no beginning and no end. Um, so uh, Bhagavan is eternally one with Arunachal. Though in the, when we view his outward life, it seems that up to the age of 16, he was an ordinary boy. Um, uh, and then that fear of death came and he then merged back within and then he became Bhagavan Ramana. That is only from the external point of view. Inwardly, Bhagavan and Arunachala are always one. And that is expressed beautifully by Bhagavan in the verse that he composed when he was asked who he is, whether he's this god or that god. Bhagavan uh, sang this verse, Ariyati Tarajivara Dahavari Jugohil, Arivai Rami Paramatuman Arunachala Ramanam, Parivalulamuruhan Nala. The meaning of this verse is, Arunachala is the Paramatma, uh, rejoicing as awareness in the cave of the heart lotus of different souls, different jivas, beginning with Hari. Um, the, the rejoicing as awareness, Arivai Rami means... Uh, He's always shining blissfully in our heart as that fundamental awareness, I am. So that which we are all aware of as I am, that is our natural Ramana. That is what we actually are. And so, but how to, how to experience that? Uh, how to, to, to make that an experience? He explains in the last two lines of the verse. Um, parival ulam uruha means heart melting with love. Nalaparanandi uh, du uh, guheyandu, reaching the cave where the sublime supreme dwells. That is, with our heart melting with love, we need to turn back within and reach the, the cave, the, the very innermost depth of our heart where, where Bhagavan dwells. Uh, when we do so, Arivam viri tirava, the eye that is awareness opening. Nijam uh, arivai, you will know. Nijam means what is innate or what is natural. Uh, in other words, our own real nature, which is the indwelling, our natural Ramana. We will know that. Adu uh, veliyam it will be exposed or it will be, Veliyam means it will come out. That implies it will be exposed, open, disclosed, or made clear, meaning that it will shine forth, devouring ego. So Bhagavan has revealed in this verse his true identity. He and Aranatra are one. They are that which is ever shining in our heart as the fundamental awareness I am. And to know him as he is, we need with a heart melting with love. This is the really important thing. Without the heart melting with love, we cannot go deep enough within to lo lose ourselves completely in him. So, um, so this is what, so though in this song, Bhagavan is singing as he is the bride and Arunachala is the bridegroom, they are eternally one. So it is Arunachala himself who has revealed his greatness by 
taking the form of Bhagavan Ramana and singing his praises in this song. Um, so, uh, so this is such a beautiful, beautiful love song. And um, in fact, this is the supreme love song. I don't think there's ever any... I don't think anywhere in the world, I mean, there are so many great devotional songs have been sung by so many saints, but the depth and intensity of love expressed by Bhagavan in this song, uh, and it's completely self-effacing, self-sacrificing self love. He's the love that is the highest form of love is to give ourselves entirely to the object of our love. The object of our love is Arunachala, who is our own self, who's ever shining in our heart as our own real nature. So with this supreme love song uh, bestowed upon us by Bhagavan as our guide, support and solace, let us each persevere in our attempts to turn back within and sink into the innermost depth of our heart, where he is always waiting to swallow us in his clear light of pure and infinite awareness. Um, <clears throat> so I spent quite a lot of time on the introduction um, just to give the background um, what I want to talk about today is firstly the Pairam which is the introductory, a very beautiful introductory verse composed by Murugana which is always sung at the beginning of uh, Aksharam Lai and then the Kapu which is the invocatory verse that Bhagavan sang addressed to Ganapati, and then the first verse. So my talk may be a little bit longer today to cover all of these. Um, before I, uh, I, um, I, um, uh, before I explain the meaning of, uh, of uh, Murugana's Pairam, because um, I can try reciting it, but my I'm not very I don't have musical singing, so I'm going to first play Sadhu Om singing the the this uh this verse. This is the, the Pairam or introductory verse composed by Sri Murugana. <laughs> Um, so that this is the the, the Pairam sung by Murugana. Um, what this what this uh, means is um, uh, those who sink in the heart with awareness as Aranachalam will certainly rule the world of Shiva. Uh, and how do they sink in the heart? Having this song as a means. So those who sink in the heart with awareness as Aranachala, um, taking this song as a means, taking as a means, this Akshara, Murugana describes it as Akshara Mana Mahil Male. Um, mahil uh, means, 
it's got two meanings. One meaning is joyful. Another meaning is flower. So we can take it to mean this joyful marriage garland or, uh, or fragrant flower garland of syllables. Or we can also take it as the joyful garland of immutable union. Um, uh, and then he describes it as taruna runamani kirana uh, uh, baliniha uh, tarum, which gives light like a series of rays of the newly risen sun, and which is composed by karunakara muninayakan, karunakara muni ramanan aryan, that is the noble sage uh, Ramana, uh, who is karunakara, the abundant giver of grace. But he uh, sang with joy for the sake of, uh, as a prayer, so that the delusion of good devotees who seek clarity may be cleared away. So those who sing this song uh, with a, uh, who, who, sorry, those who sink in the heart with awareness as our naturalum, with this song as an aid, will certainly rule the world of Shiva. Um, that is the, the, the meaning. I'll explain it. I'll, I'll, I'll go through the verse explaining it. The first line is Taruna Runamani Kirana Balineha Tarumaksharam Mana Mahilmale. So he's describing this Akshramlai as, um, as Taruna means young or youthful. In the, in the case of the sun, it means uh, newly risen or just risen. Uh, Aruna means sun. Money means a gem or jewel. So Aruna money means the sun, as or it literally means sun gem. So it's implying the sun as the jewel in the sky. Kiranam means a ray or beam of light. Um, and Arbali means a series. Um, so Taruna Aruna money means a series of rays of the newly risen sun. Then the next word, niha, has a double meaning. That is, often Tamil poets will use words with double meanings, and um, we're going to use this word with a double meaning. The normal meaning of niha is uh, likeness or similarity. So we can take it to mean like. So this song is like the uh, newly, uh, like, like a series of rays of newly risen sun. But there's more to it than that because niha also means shining or luster or brightness or light. And the next word is tarum, which means which gives. So which gives light. So Murugan is saying this song gives light like a series of rays of the newly risen sun. Um, it's a beautiful description. Um, as I will explain later, but, um, many of the words in this verse Murugana has actually borrowed from the third verse of Arunachal Nabimani Malai, like Taruna, uh, Taruna Aruna, uh, the newly risen sun, that's one word, and other words also he has, uh, he has taken from that. So there, there are many allusions in this verse to other verses of Bhagavan, particularly that third verse of, uh, of Arunachal Nabimani Malai. Um, uh, um, 
so they 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 say which which gives light or which shines like a series of rays of newly risen sun. That is the description, the description of this aksharam, like which, as I say, he describes as aksharam mana mahilmale. And again, mahil has a double meaning. Mahil means uh, joyful. It also means um, a flower. It's a, well, it's a particular variety of flower. So um, it means. Uh, well, I've already explained the various meanings of Aksara Manamalai. Um, so it, this can be taken as a, um, we could take this, it means both a joyful marriage garland of syllables, and also, um, or if we take it in that sense, the, the mahil, the joy, implies the, the infinite joy and bliss of uniting eternally being one with our natural. And it also means, because Mahir um, also means a flower, it's also a garland of fragrant flowers in the form of syllables. That is, each verse in this song is a beautiful, uh, sweet-smelling, fragrant um, uh, flower uh, that is uh, grown in the heart, grown, that has sprouted in the heart of Bhagavan, you can say. So with, with flowers coming from his own heart, he has, he, has, he has woven this beautiful garland, this beautiful, sweet-smelling garland, this garland of supreme love. Um, and the, when Murugana says it gives light, the light that is given by this song is the light of pure awareness, which dispels the darkness of, of ignorance from the hearts of those who look deep within themselves, seeking the clarity of that light. So, um, as Murugana implies in the next clause, which is, Terol Nadia Tirua, sorry, Terol Nadia Tiru Adia Terumaral Telia. Terol means um, means clarity or clear knowledge. Uh, Murugan explains it as in his commentary as being mayonabu. Mayonabu means real awareness or awareness of what is real, um, namely I am. Nadia means who seek, and Murugan explains who seek means who earnestly and intensely desire. Um, uh, and um, uh, because in in order to in um in order to to know what we actually are, we need to have such intense love for for this. Um, uh, and since having such intense love uh, for the clarity of pure awareness is the greatest of all blessings, Murugana describes those devotees who have such love as Tiru Adiya. Uh, I translated tiru as good, but actually it has got much uh, deeper meaning than good. It's a lot of words it's difficult to convey in English. Tiru means what is blessed or sacred. But the devotees who have such love, they are blessed because they, that is, there's no blessing greater than the love for true clarity, for the clarity of pure awareness. Um, and adiya means... Uh, a devotee in the sense of a humble slave or servant of God. And terumaral means uh, distress, confusion, or delusion. Uh, 
And here it's referring to the primal delusion, namely self-ignorance, which rises as ego. So it's ego is the delusion that needs to be removed. And finally, the verb telia means uh, to become clear or be cleared away. So teromaral telia means so that their delusion may be cleared away. So this song is sung so that the delusion of those good devotees who seek or always seek clarity may be cleared away. Um, and um, since uh, or oh, the delusion that this delusion is the darkness of self-ignorance, namely ego, which is the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body. Since it's a false awareness of ourself, it can be eradicated only by the perfect clarity of pure self-awareness. And such clarity can be found only by looking deep within one's own heart, which is the light of pure awareness that always shines devoid of adjuncts as I am. Therefore, when we are, what we are seeking when we investigate ourselves by looking deep within is this absolute clarity of awareness that we actually are. So the phrase uh, Terul Nadia, who seek clarity, is, a very apt, is very apt and significant. It is also another uh, uh, phrase that is an allusion to what Bhagavan sings in um, verse 3 of uh, Sri Aranacha Navamani Malai, in which he uses the word Nittamum Terul Nadu Ullatanil, which means in or with a heart, but always seeks clarity. What Bhagavan says in verse 3 of Arunachal Navamani Malai is, Arunachalatiluru karunakaraparaman arunaravindapadamei borunadu sutram modu varunadi patriolam marunadu sutram Maral Nada Maral Nadal uh Atru Nitamum Terol Nadu Latinanal um uh Terol Nadu Latininal uh Arunadi Nikumaba uh uh Irul Nasumutu Buvimel um uh Tarunaruna uh uh giri uh tarunaruna uh tarunaruna kadir kadir uh iru kadirin aruna um ar ar sorry i'm because i'm a bit dyslexic sometimes if i forget but uh if I forget the words, I have difficulty uh, reading them. So, uh, um, <coughs> yeah, sorry, I'll read, read uh, it in a split form. That'd be Taruna uh, Aruna Kadirin Arunalum Utru Sukum Varunadleati Iriva. That is, they will, okay, I'll read the meaning. Um, with a heart that always seeks clarity, being bereft of desiring, 
that or any form of desire and of the mental delusion of being attached to wealth, country, relatives, caste, and so on, those who are steadfast in seeking sublime grace, the, um, the red lotus feet of the Supreme Lord, the abundant giver of grace who dwells in our Arunachalam, will, will subside in the ocean of bliss, uh, achieving destruction of ignorance on earth, and always experiencing grace like the rays of a newly risen sun. So there are so many words in this verse that Murugan has borrowed. Firstly, um, with a heart that is always seeking clarity. Um, then also he uses what he describes our natural as karunakara, the abundant giver of grace. And um, also that taruna aruna, the newly risen sun, like the rays of a newly risen sun. So there are many allusions in this verse that is in about this pyram composed by Murugana to this verse three of uh, of Arunachal Navamani Malai, which, which is a very very great assurance to us. If we are all, if we are always seeking clarity, that is the clarity of pure awareness, to the extent to which we're truly seeking clarity, we will be thereby bereft of desire for anything else. And consequently, we'll, be del we'll also be bereft of, uh, we'll be free from a mental delusion of being attached to wealth or country or relatives or caste or any of these, uh, of these uh, things. Um, and so if we are steadfast in seeking that grace, the grace of the red lotus feet of the Supreme Lord, he, the, his grace is itself the clarity, but we're seeking in our own heart is the implication. Um, and that Supreme Lord is the abundant giver of grace, uh, Karanakara, and he dwells in Arunachalam. That is, he dwells in Arunachala as Arunachala is the implication. Um, just like we feel I am in this body and I am this body. Arunachala... Um, dwells in Arunachala as Arunachala. Um, so if we are always seeking that grace, we will subside and drown in the ocean of bliss, thereby achieving the destruction of darkness. That means the darkness of self-ignorance, namely ego, even while living on earth. Um, and thereby we will always experience grace. Uh, um, which is the light that is always shining, dispelling darkness. Like it dispels darkness, like the rays of a newly risen sun. So this is a, that's a, in this verse three of our natural Navamanimalai. Bhagavan is giving us a very great assurance. Um, if we are always longing for His grace and always seeking clarity in our heart, we will certainly achieve what we are seeking. Bhagavan has given us this assurance here. Um, so, however feeble we may feel our attempts to turn within, so long as we keep on trying, we are going in the right direction and success is, on this path is assured. All that is required is, as Bhagavan often said, all that is required is perseverance. We just need to keep on trying. However much of a struggle it may be, we need to keep on trying to turn our attention back within. Um, and then the next uh, phrase, I'll have to skip through these things a bit quickly because I've, I won't be able to, to finish in time. Paravudal um, Porolaha, 
is a little bit difficult phrase to exactly convey, but we can take it uh, that it, uh, the exact meaning is, 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 is a bit difficult to convey in English, but we can just take it to mean uh, he composed it for the sake of uh, it being a means of praise or prayer to Arunachala. Um, and then, um, then we come to Murugana's description of Bhagavan. Karunakara Muni Ramanarian. Karunakara, uh, Karuna means grace. Akara means um, the bestower or abundant giver or abundance or abode or source or origin or mine. Akara, for example, a mine where you get um, precious gems or something is Akara. So the place, it, it implies a source in this context or the one who gives. Um, Murugana interprets Karunakara as ocean of grace and um, also as the abode or mine or storehouse of grace. Saduam interprets it as the form of grace in the sense of the embodiment or swarupa or very nature of grace. Because though akara does not literally mean either ocean or form, um, since it is the source and abundant giver of grace, it can aptly be described as the ocean of grace and also as the very embodiment of grace, the very form of grace. Um, Murugan also points out uh, uh, another meaning of karanakara, that is karam. Karam also means, karam means hand. So it also is uh, used to refer to the rays of light, of, uh, to rays of light. Um, so it, or to light itself. So um, another meaning of karanakara is the light of awareness. Uh, so uh, uh, that is uh, another meaning of it, but it is the light of, sorry, the light of karana, that is karam here can uh, imply the light of awareness. Karana kara um, therefore means the light of grace, which is the light of pure awareness that is always shining in our heart as I am. Muni means a sage or wise person. And Murugana gives a nice explanation for it, very brief. He just says, uh, Muni means uh, mananasilan. Mananasilan means one whose nature is to think deeply or one who has the virtue of thinking deeply. The reason Murugana gives this, uh, it interprets Muni in this way, is Muni and Manana, they're both Sanskrit nouns, but derived from the verbal root man, which means to think or consider. So manana means deep, careful, and critical thinking or consideration or reflection. And muni means one whose nature is to do manana. So uh, deep thinking manana and uh, deep contemplation, niditiasana, go hand in hand. That is only people who are deep thinking people will be drawn to this path of self-investigation, which is... Nidityasana means deep contemplation, but in the context of Bhagavan's teachings, Nidityasana means uh, contemplation on what is deep inside our heart, namely ourself. So it's, it's another term for self-investigation. So 
manana and self-investigation go hand in hand. Because if we think deeply and critically about our experience of ourself and everything else, it will certainly lead us to the conclusion that before knowing the reality of anything else, we first need to investigate and know the reality of ourself. Because we are the knower and all other things are known by us. So things that are known depend for their seeming existence upon the knower of them. So if we do not know the reality of ourselves, we cannot know the reality of anything else. So Bhagavan was, was by nature a Muni from childhood. Even as a child, he thought deeply about life and death. For example, when, his, when he was a 12-year-old boy, his father passed away. And everyone was weeping, and, and Bhagavan saw the body of his father lying there on, on, on a, a bench before being taken away to be cremated. And he was puzzled. Why are they all uh, weeping and saying um, that my father has gone when I can see my father here? So he thought deeply about him. Then he understood. I now know the I in me. My father's I... Uh, has left his body. That is the difference between a living body and a dead body. So that, that deep thinking was there in him, even as a child. And that deep thinking led when that, to, to that day when he had that intense fear of death. Instead of letting his mind go outwards to think about uh, anything else, he, his, the deep manana he had been doing earlier turned his mind back within to go deep, to look deep within his own heart to see when this body dies, will I also die? And by going deep within, he thereby merged and became one with Arunachala, as he always eternally was and is. Um, so uh, it's a very appropriate, um, to, this is a very nice, though Murugana gives just a few simple words. Muni means muni, manana silam, one who is, whose nature is to think deeply. Um, there's actually a lot of implied meaning in this. So muni is a very appropriate title for Bhagavan, because Bhagavan, from childhood, he thought deeply about these things, and because his deep thinking led to deep investigation, and thereby he merged back in his heart, that into the depth of his own heart. Um, and then finally, the word Aryan. Aryan is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word Arya, which means one who is noble, honorable, eminent, uh, revered, excellent, learned, or wise. It can also mean Acharya, which is, uh, means a spiritual preceptor, preceptor or guru. Um, therefore, Karunakaramuni Nayakan, sorry, Karunakaramuni Ramanarian means um, the noble sage Ramana or sage Ramana guru who is the abundant giver of grace, the source of grace, the abode of grace, the ocean of grace or the embodiment of grace. Then the next phrase is Uvaheyinal uh, Soliadu, which Uvaheyinal uh, means uh, it's an instrumental case form of Uvahe, which means joy exaltation, uh, ecstasy, euphoria, or love. So it means by joy or with joy or with love. And soliadu means what he said. Um, in this context, it implies what he sang. So this song is what Bhagavan sang with great 
joy and great love for the sake of uh, for uh, uh, as a prayer for those who are seeking clarity. Um, and then um, gatiaha, gati me is a Sanskrit word that means a way, path, means, or also means it also means a refuge. And aha means as. So gatiaha means as a means or way or path or or refuge. Um, uh, and Murugan also explains that gati implies um, showing the way or a guide on the path. So gatiaha implies taking this song as a means, a refuge, a support and a guide, showing us the way to sink deep within ourselves and thereby eradicate ego. Um, and then we come to the final line, which is the main clause. Arunachalamena ahamei arivodum arvashivanula halvare. Those who sink in the heart, it links with the previous thing, taking this song as a, a means or as a support, as a guide, those who sink in the heart with awareness as Arunachalam will certainly rule the world of Shiva. Um, the subject of this clause is Arunachalam ena ahamei arivodum arva, those who sink in the heart with awareness as Arunachalam. But ahamei, has a double meaning in this context. Aham is a Tamil word that means inside, mind, heart, or home. Uh, so ahame can mean uh, uh, sink in the heart. Oh, in this context, um, Murugana explained that uh, aham means the, the heart in the sense of the source of the mind. Uh, that is the source from which we've risen, the source from which ego has risen. The, uh, he says, Piripidam. Piripidam is a term Bhagavan uses, the birthplace of the mind. So it means our real nature in one sense. It also means, it's also the pronoun I. So Ahame means both in the mind or heart and also only I. Um, as I say, in the if we take it to mean heart, Murugan explains that that means um, the birthplace of the mind, in other words, the source from which we've risen, which is our own real nature. Um, uh, so the, the implication is that taking this song as a guide and support, the mind must sink with awareness back into the source from which it rose. With awareness here implies with uh, keen and vigilant self-attentiveness. Um, obviously, we're not, we, we don't have to be aware of anything else. What do we need to be aware of? We need to be aware of ourselves. We need to be attentively aware of ourselves. So that's the implication of Aribodum. Um, because it's only when we subside and merge back into the heart as a result of being keenly self-attentive that ego will be eradicated. Um, and regarding the Second of the two meanings, taking aham as I, Murugana says the, there's an intensifying suffix. Ahame means only I or I alone. But he said that that suffix a can be transposed from aham to arunachalam, in which case arunachalam ena ahame would be construed as arunachalam ahame ena. 
which means uh, that our natural is I alone. So uh, another meaning is those who sink in the heart with awareness that our natural is own is is that our natural alone is I. That is, I is nothing other than our natural. What is shining in our heart is I. That is our natural. Remove the adjuncts, but but uh, but make this I seem to be ego. Remove the adjuncts, and what remains is our natural, the pure I. Um, Therefore, our natural mena hame, um, which is these incidentally, this is a phrase that Morgan borrows from the opening words of the first verse of Aksharam Rai, as we will see later on. Um, it means both um, as our natural in the heart and that our natural is only I. So if we incorporate both these meanings, our natural mena hame arivodum arva implies. Those who sink in the heart with awareness that our naturalum is only I, or or that our naturalum alone is I. Um, those who sink thus will certainly rule or take charge of, of the world of Shiva, as Murugana concludes this verse by saying. Um, the implication of this. What does he mean by saying they will rule the world of Shiva? What is the world of Shiva? The world of Shiva is the heart. And the one who rules or is in charge of the heart is the heart itself, which is Aranatcha Shiva. So, um, so the implication here is that when we finally sink into the heart with clear awareness that I is not anything other than Aranatchalam, we will thereby lose ourselves entirely in the heart and remain as the heart itself. This is the state of complete surrender or eradication of ego, which we can achieve only by sinking deep within ourselves by means of keen and steady self-attentiveness. And for helping us to sink thus, there is no greater guide, aid, or support than this love-infused song given to us by Karunakaramuni Ramanarian, uh, our great guru and acharya, the noble sage Ramana, the abundant giver of grace. Um, and then we come to the kapu. This is the invocation. I'll just um, play Saduam singing this. Um, this is Bhagavan's invocation. The, the meaning of this verse, Arunachala Varaketra, Aksharamanamale Satra, Karunakaraganapatiye, Karamalika Paye, is uh, Bhagavan is addressing Ganapati. That Ganapati is often known as Ganesha, or is more, probably more familiar to people in the West as Ganesha, also he's called Vinayaka. So Bhagavan addresses him. Uh, Ganapati, giver of grace, may you protect, graciously giving a hand to sing Aksharamalai to be fitting for the bridegroom Arunachala. That The implication of that is, uh, Ganapati, uh, giver of grace, may you protect this undertaking, uh, graciously giving a hand to help me sing Aksharamanamalai so that it may be fitting or suitable 
for or to adorn the bridegroom Arunachala. Um, uh, the Arunachala Varaku, Varaku is a dative case form of Varan, which means a great person, Lord, God, or in this context, a bridegroom or husband. Etra means what is suitable or fitting. So Arunachala Varaketra means to be fitting or so that it may be suitable for the bridegroom Arunachala. Murugan also points out another thing here. Arunachala Varaku can also be split as Arunachala Araku. Araku is a dated case form of Aran, which is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word Hara, uh, which is the name of Shiva and means one who destroys or takes away. Hara is derived from the a verb which means to take away, take, take away, remove, seize, steal, rob, deprive of, destroy, or annihilate. So Arunachala Araku means for Arunachala Hara or for Arunachala Shiva. Arunachala is called Hara because he steals our heart and annihilates ego. So that's, Murugan often brings out very nice um, secondary meanings, but also very apt meanings. Um, so the, the bridegroom Aranachala is nothing but Hara himself. Um, and the name Hara is very much associated with Aranachala. If you attend any festival, like Deepam festival, in um, Tiruvannamala, if you're in the temple, people will be singing Anamalai Karohara, that is Harohara uh, Arunachala. So Hara is, his name Hara is very, very much associated with Arunachala because Arunachala is the ultimate thief, the thief who steals our heart and annihilates ego, as Bhagavan makes very, very clear in so many verses of Bhakshramai, how he's this, this arch thief Arunachala has stolen his heart. Um, and Satra means to proclaim or declare or explain or speak. And in this context, it implies to sing or to compose in the sense of to compose a song or poem. Murgan also explains an, another meaning. Um, he says that uh, Satra can also be taken to be a poetic variant of Sata, which means to adorn, because if a garland is to adorn Aranachala, uh, this, this garland of verses is woven to adorn the bridegroom Arunachala. Um, and I already explained earlier about the meaning of Karunakara. It means the abundant giver of grace, the abundance of grace or the source of grace. But uh, Karam also means hand. So in this, since Bhagavan is praying in this verse for Ganapati to give him a helping hand, Karam, we can also take Karunakara to mean hand of grace, implying that the hands of Ganapati are hands of grace. Then the next word is the verb, Aruli. It's actually an adverbial participle uh, of the verb Arul, which means to be gracious, kind, benevolent, uh, compassionate, or to give, speak, or command graciously. So in this context, Aruli means giving graciously. And um, Arul is a, a noun that means grace. Oh, it's a both, Arul is both a verb and also a noun that means grace or benevolence, particularly in the sense of uh, divine grace. 
And as we shall see in later verses, it is one of Bhagavan's favorite words. Um, he uses it either as a verb or as a noun about 60 times in Akshamlai. So it's such a favorite verse, a word of his. Um, uh, because Akshamlai is all about grace. Grace is all important. Um, and final, the final word of this verse is karpaye, which is an intensified form of karpai, which is a second person singular imperative or optative form of kar, which means to protect, safeguard, uh, uh, um, um, shelter, watch over, rescue or save. So karpaye means may you protect. And in this context, it implies may you protect this undertaking, this composition of Akshamrai, watching over my composition, watching over my composing of it. Um, so therefore, karam arali karpaye means may you protect graciously giving a hand, which implies may you protect this undertaking graciously giving a hand to help me. Uh, compose this song. Um, we can infer that there are two reasons why Bhagavan composed this verse. Firstly, he did so to honor an ancient tradition of composing such a kapu addressed to Ganapati, invoking his protection before beginning to compose any text. Um, because uh, Ganapati, who is also known as Ganeshwar Vinayaka, is revered not only by Hindus, but also by Buddhists and Jains, as the remover of obstacles and the protector of all undertakings, whether worldly or spiritual. That, so that's one reason why one is honoring that, that ancient tradition. Um, secondly, as Murugana points out, Ganapati, who is the eldest son of Lord Shiva, facilitated the marriage of Vali, of, of Bali, Bali, with Skanda, his younger brother. He, that, that he, the story of how they, Bali and Skanda got married, uh, um, Ganapati, um, uh, because Skanda wanted um, uh, Bali, who, who, who considered herself of a very low origin because she was a hunter princess, um, so, so she didn't feel herself worthy of Skanda. Um, so he, Ganapati appeared as a wild elephant to frighten her. And so she ran to Skanda to take refuge under his protection. And that, that, that's how the marriage was, uh, uh, was brought about, because he then revealed his true nature, who he really was, and they got married. So Murugana says it's particularly appropriate but Ganapati should protect and lend a helping hand uh, in the composition of this song, which facilitates the sacred matrimony or union of devotees with his father, Arunachara Shiva. Um, and so that's, those are prefatory verses. I've spoken for more than an hour, but I will continue because the, we now come to the most important, one of the most important works, verses of the whole text, which is the, um, the first verse. Um, can I say something? Can I just ask something? If I am to talk about this first verse now, it, I've already talked for more than an hour, and it may well be another hour or more for me to talk about this verse. 
should I keep this for next time or shall I continue talking? It'll, if I continue talking, it'll leave not so much time for questions. So we could perhaps keep this for next time, next or time. why not? Let's do that. Maybe yeah. Yeah, because, because we. I mean, even if it takes us longer, but this is such an important and such a wonderful uh, work. Even if it takes us a bit longer to get through all the verses, it doesn't matter. Let's go through them as deeply as as um, as they deserve. Yes. But anyway, bef before yes, finishing, I, I will just play as a prelude to the next one. I'll just play the, the, the refrain and Sadom singing the first verse. So that, that's the first two verses. Next time, I'll, next uh, the meeting in two weeks, I'll talk about the, the first verse. And then next month, we'll go on to the uh, subsequent verses. So, Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arna Chalaramanaya.